in certain uh, misperceptions that we can derive from meditation practice, at least the outward form of it. Because when we go into these forms of meditation, it's often the experience of, you know, you go somewhere quiet, you're on your own, you're in your room or somewhere. Meditation is very much a solitary experience. You're not talking to people, you're not doing things. I am separated from, you know, the world around me. Uh, and that's true on a sensory level in terms of physical contact and interaction on the sensory level, isn't it? Looking at things, we're not touching things, we're not talking to things, so we're not interacting with anything. We're not interacting with anything. But you realize actually, on the most important level, this profound level of interaction. Because here, you're in a very immediate, one-to-one, extremely sensitive relationship with your, with your mind, your heart, and your body. <laughs> right? No? You're never alone. <laughs> and it's interactive. And you know, coming with the idea, oh, be quiet and sit still, and saying that to all the, to your mind, your body and your heart, isn't really a very healthy way to relate. And we, But we can still have this idea, you know, that when we meditate, everything shuts down and shuts up. And we get into some kind of open space or something or the other, which we imagine, you know, it's quiet, it's silent, nothing's happening. This is the good stuff. Yeah. It's what I work so hard for. I'm 23 hours a day of craziness. And I get my little one hour, whatever it is. And then that one hour, if I work really hard, I might get three minutes of this optimal experience <laughs> before reluctantly I have to drop it all and go back to interaction. You know, This isn't really a very positive um, kind of spiritual practice, is it? If we're kind of somehow feeling that the majority of our daily life is really a waste of time. <laughs> or, or it's not really, you know, it's going a different direction from what we call our spiritual practice. But actually, what does spiritual mean? And very simply speaking, it means you're with what you're with. <laughs> you're with what you're with. And if you look at this, uh, I'm going to just provide some kind of um, <laughs> ideas, reference points. I would suggest that uh, a lot of the time we're with what? We're with our experience of being having a body. Of being what a body is, is expressing physically, sensorially, energetically, in terms of health, age, hormones, energies, so forth. We're certainly with that. And that doesn't go away. We're also with our own mental content, our ideas, memories, plans, so forth. We're with that. 
and all the once you extend that you're also with all the mood tones that these two carry for you wishing it was another way wishing it would be more comfortable or clearer or something or the other also with um, being living organism in a world of living organisms that all fit together or should fit together we all breathe the same air whether it's a toad leopard or human of any kind we're all breathing the same air we're walking on this planet with the sun the moon the stars the rain the heat and coolness we're with that and we're with whatever our current human society is doing it's fighting quarreling struggling busy whatever it's up to we we are inundated with all that and so spiritual practice is you're with what you're with <laughs> now that sounds like a lot in a way it is a lot but it, what it all comes down to is crystallizing in your heart at any given moment it could be I'm with the worry, I'm with the pressure, I'm with the concerns, I'm with the anger, irritation, I'm with the joy and enthusiasm, I'm with the great idea, I'm with the you know fantastic thing we're about to do. So you actually at the centre of that, all that emotive stuff, and that's where you that covers it all, doesn't it? The idea is that you know if we compartmentalize our life into i'm just with my, my thinking process is all that counts then we become you know oblivious to to other people this can happen you know just my bodily experience is all that counts you know that's really very important to me then we also we're missing out on the bigger picture and so we had all these come together we have a sense of integrity, conscience and concern, love come with it all. And that's those that simple one monosyllable monosyllable at least in English, monosyllable love. It's the love of the spirit. Love of the heart. It doesn't mean I'm fantasizing about a romantic battle or even kind of, um, you know, sort of impassioned about it. It means I care for it deeply because this is what's going to unify my actions towards my thoughts, my body, other people, the world around me as it arises in my awareness. Yeah, this is, still seems like a lot. But what arises in your awareness? Are you worried? Surely you're worried. Surely there's got to be some sense of alarm or concern somewhere. Is that wrong? Probably you feel a bit annoyed and irritated at times. Is that wrong? Perhaps you feel like, like something good to happen. Is that wrong? 
these impulses, can you be with those? Aware of those? Listening to those? Because if you are in this embodied way, they begin to distill into what I'm going to do. Having felt the sense of alarm at the plight of other beings, as I feel that sense of concern and alarm, I just think about it or get exhausted or get annoyed by it or worried about it, but maybe I do, but then I'm aware of that, it settles, settles my body energy, helps to settle and resolve that. And I get a sense of purpose. I will do this. Because it's true. For example, you know, very simple example when the, obviously, we all have our own individual lives, but when the Buddha was presented with the truth of the human condition, by this overseeing spirit called the Brahma Sahampati, the spirit Sahampati means the father or the guardian of all, says, look, to the Buddha, there are beings with a little dust in their eyes. Yeah. There are beings who will go needlessly to bad places if you don't support, if you don't help them. There are those who can hear. Let's put that in there, the Buddha. Mm. This is true. Now he didn't start running around doing all kinds of things, he just let that that voice of concern settle. Right. Then okay. I just got to do. There are those who can hear. Gets up, just starts walking. Don't know what to say, don't know what to do, yet it will come. Notice he spent uh, several weeks walking to where he thought he might find some uh, uh, receptive audience. And that time he wasn't writing the ABC of Buddhism. He was just walking, letting his body feel the walking letting that sense of concern settle. First person he met, he said a few things that it didn't work. It was not useful. Just so he walks along, eventually gets in into the deer park at Benares where his friends were staying, his old colleagues. And they said, oh, here he comes. Oh, he, he's the one who walked out on us. You know, he was practicing with us as an ascetic and he gave up on it. Who cares about him? And he said, listen, the deathless has been found. <laughs> listen, have you ever seen me like this before? And they said, no. Well, listen, and I'll teach you. And immediately just got up, prepared a seat for him, sat down and listened. He said, this is what you should not do. And he gave these primary teachings. And the teaching he gave, although we often call it the Four Noble Truths, began with telling him what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that. Don't follow the path of denial. Don't follow the path of indulgence. Don't get hopelessly engaged with the world in a consumer way. Also, don't reject it in a nihilistic way. Don't say, oh, the world is just an illusion. 
just a dream in Vishnu's mind, who cares anyway? <laughs> kind of spiritual nihilism. Don't say, you know, that, that kind of negation of the world. Also don't say, oh, it's, you know, I've got to make a, uh, you know, I've got a big plan for humanity, get involved in indulgent to try to make the sensory world work. He says, don't do that. Follow the path. And the path is right view, right action, you know, right view, right intention, right action, right effort, right mindfulness, right livelihood, and so forth. Path to where? Well, get your intention right. Then you'll find out where. So it starts with avoiding denial, nihilism, negation, doesn't matter, shrug it off, who cares, and the opposite extreme, get, have, consume, get embedded in this territory, avoid those, stay in the balance that's difficult to describe, except it's not those two polarities in that balance you're aware you're sensitive you're not asking for answers results applause win succeed you're not asking for that right now you just want to maintain balance poise because with right view you understand every thought every inclination of my mind has a result Every inclination of my mind, every inclination of my heart has some kind of result and comes from some kind of cause. What are the causes? The principal cause? What, how, why am I acting? Where do my actions come from? What's the motivating influence behind my actions? Hmm? Now, if we just ask ourselves deeply that, to be honest, I think probably, certainly, many of us would say most of the motivating influences in my actions, I don't even know. I just do what I'm supposed to do because it's eight o'clock. I don't know what I'm doing, I just because eight o'clock I've got to do this. Yeah. I did that, it's Friday, so I do this. It's um you know the guy came to the knock on the door, so I did this. I was popped into my intro, so I did this. You know, the email dropped in, so I just responded to it. We kind of like, like you know, on a ricochet, bouncing off. So that's totally understandable. I do the same thing. Something in this almost seeks it. Let me get automatic. I want to know what to do at Friday morning at 8 o'clock. And then I feel secure. Well, I know what day of the week it is. Then I know what time it is. I know what the program is, and I feel secure. No, that's not the way. The way is to be in, insecure. Insecure in a calm way. And you say, from that place, you're no longer relating to the programs that you've adopted, that have been, you've been inducted into, yeah? that are being pumped in by the media into you every day about what you should do what you should be and what you're going to be what you've got to have and 
what other people think, what you should look like, and how big you are, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Actually, what counts is this first injury arises faith. Have faith. Be open. And faith is a kind of love. It's a love of the spirit, saying the spirit will tell me I trust it. The jitta will tell me I trust it. I don't need to program. Now this may only last for two minutes, five minutes. You know, just that, that reference point. But then from that place, you go, okay, trusting there is such a thing as heart, spirit, chitta. It's very primary. It's Without this, there's no point in living. We're not just robots, programmed, wind-up toys that you set on a treadmill, keep going. There is such a quality as awareness, spirit, heart. We have to remember this is our primary, most important gift. This is what makes us truly human. Without this, we're not acting like humans. Should or could or are capable of. So you have to relate to that. It's, it's a love of spirit. So I will follow you. I trust you. And then you notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, oh, you've got to. It doesn't say, oh, other people need you to. Or it doesn't say, you've got to get this done on this time. It just says, go forth, rise up with the mind, goodwill, and compassion, with integrity, open to the world. See what matters now. Trust what matters to you now. It could be bring some beauty into the world. It could be just tidy up. And if you like, in that process of you like almost motivating your day, so your motivation is coming from internally, from your heart, spirit, rather than externally from your to-do list or whatever you have you're shifting where you're coming from look at certain things certain things we might say we feel for my welfare or for other people's welfare or both which do you think is the most important my welfare his or her welfare, or both. I think you probably think both, because <laughs> then I'll balance out my ten, you know tendency to take be too obsessive about myself. I'll also balance out the tendency to think everybody else counts. I should give myself up to everyone else. No, what works for both of us? Because then I'm encouraging balance. Your view counts, my view counts, how do they fit? Your welfare counts, my welfare counts, how do we find the balance? In fact, 
in this relational world, interrelatedness is a really important training in finding that balance, which is the heart of the middle way. Not I'm going to bend over backwards to accommodate you, nor am I going to ask you to bend over to accommodate me. I want to find where we can both stand up together and shake hands and say, yeah, okay, I'll give up this, I'll do that, I'll say, yeah, fine. Now, I want to have that sense. At least that's what I, what I see as optimal. I would incline towards. It might be worth negotiating towards. And then you look at other things. What's important and what's urgent? And you might think it's best to do what's urgent. No, it's not best to do what's urgent because then you're in a state of panic. It's best to do what's important. <laughs> Minimize urgency, maximize importance. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're dealing with you know, the immediate red hot issues rather than, you know, which are, and you'll actually attract more. You do with what's important, not what's urgent. Because urgent is very much a way of reading things and it puts you into a, a frantic state. Sometimes that's the way it is, you know, you've got to get out of the house, it's on fire. But you don't want to live your life like you're in a house on fire. You want to live your life like, you know, you're in a vehicle that you can drive and it's important to keep your wheels on the road, your eyes steady, your hands on the wheel, and your speed limit to what you can manage. That's important. Then you stay on the middle way, on the path. And you can, from there, you're going to be in maximum possibilities to relate appropriately to your welfare, the welfare of others to your own body, to your mind, to your heart, to what's around you. And this is the way that you are able to maintain your steady presence as an awakening being in this strange, you know, ongoing uh, experience of the sensory world that we come into every day. So, find the balance. Balance is the most difficult thing, in a way, because it doesn't shout, it doesn't lean, it doesn't scream, it doesn't push, it doesn't have a great surge of emotion. It's a settled place, it's a quiet place. It's the most important place because it doesn't scream about being important. It's the most important place because there's no urgency in it. It's the most important place because there's no mission. So that's the place where you you can come forth in the most unbiased, clear, aware and sensitive way, free from, you know, obstructions. Have faith in that, love that, respect that, honour that. And then when you're sitting quietly, on your own apparently, you're with others, you maintain the middle path. And this is, you know, what the Buddha's first uh, productive teaching was. It's what I'd like to offer 
the day for your reflection and consideration.